the abrupt change in Jesus' ministry happened in an instant. It was almost like the Savior had just finally had enough. From this moment on, his teaching would simultaneously become more simple for some and more mysterious for others. From this moment on, some would receive revelation while others would listen to the same words and perceive only riddles. Some would be profoundly motivated while others would be entirely frustrated. So it was then and so it is now whenever the word of God is taught. And then, like now, whichever side of that equation you found yourself on would be entirely your choice, entirely your fault, entirely your responsibility, because it would be entirely due to the condition of your heart, not the blood-pumping organ in the center of your chest, but the choice-making capacity in the center of your life, that other heart, the heart we sing about and write about and preach about, the heart we love and long and lust with, the heart that can be happy or hurt or hateful, the heart that ultimately decides what we become, who we are, and where we go for eternity, that heart. Because your heart is the garden of your life. And whatever you plant in it, whatever seed or weed gets planted there in your heart, it will grow and ultimately it will bear its fruit in your future, whether that's good or evil. And so the Bible warns us, brothers and sisters, a lot. The, Psalm, the writer of Proverbs, Solomon, he said, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. One uh, translation says, Guard your heart, for it affects everything you do. Jesus said these words in Matthew 6 and 21. He said, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. He warned us about the direction and the intent and the motivation of our heart. So this is the moment. It's very striking in the Gospels. It's the moment in his ministry when Jesus first began to speak in what we call parables. Simple stories filled with profound spiritual principles. And the parables at, at the first glance, they're, they're pretty straightforward. They're full of familiar features, easily recognizable scenes containing agricultural metaphors and household items and common people, it was a brilliant teaching method for effectively communicating something as eternally important as scriptural truth. It's brilliant. But the parables are more than that. Many people assume that Jesus told parables for one reason only, and that was to make his teaching as easy and accessible as possible. Some even suggest that our sermons today should be filled to the brim with stories because, after all, that's how Jesus did it. He told stories. I agree that our Savior, our Master, was a master storyteller. But with respect they have entirely missed the point of what he was actually doing. 
Jesus was doing something more than telling a story that would be memorable. He was setting up a kingdom confrontation. He was setting up a heart conflict between those who received him and those who refused to believe in him. Matthew 13, the disciples came and they said unto him, why speakest thou unto them in parables? And he answered and said unto them, because, he didn't say because I want to make it simple or I want to make it engaging or entertaining. Here's what he said, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but unto them it is not given. That's the question the disciples asked the very first time Jesus ever told a parable. And his answer, if I could paraphrase it, he said, my stories are going to enlighten some people and exasperate other people. Matthew 13, 13. Therefore speak I to them in parables because they seeing see not and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. So contrary to what most people assume, Jesus gave almost the opposite reason for speaking in parables. He wasn't trying to make it easy. He was trying to make it difficult. Yes, his parables, his stories, they would reveal truth to those who had eyes to see and ears to hear. But those same stories would have exactly the opposite effect on those who refused to follow him. The symbols in his stories, they would provide deep, inspiring revelation to some people. But they would only present frustrating riddles to others. And it would be entirely due to the condition of their heart. For those with eyes to see and ears to hear, for those who hungered and thirsted after righteousness, his parables would reveal truth and it would be beautiful and powerful and life-changing. But for those who were self-righteous and self-satisfied, for those who were smug and thought themselves sophisticated, his parables would only conceal truth. So it is critically important, brothers and sisters, even eternally important that you and I end up on the right side of that equation. It is essential to open your eyes and open your ears to the word of God. Same chapter, same setting. This is the first time he ever told a parable and it's the first time the disciples ever asked a question about why. And here's what he said. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. I don't think any of us, including the preachers that grace this pulpit, I don't think any of us have quite enough of a glimpse of the privilege we have of living in a country free enough and having a church that, that has ministry enough to just sit under the powerful, profound teaching and preaching of the Word of God every week. I don't think any of us really get what a privilege that is. And, and, and if, if we don't get that, here's what else I think we really don't get is how 
how important it is and how blessed we are that we actually have revelation from God, revelation from his word, revelation of truth, revelation of understanding. We don't understand quite how blessed we are. We live on a planet of over 8 billion people and the vast majority of them have not one inkling, not one ounce, not one sliver of the understanding that any of you have of this holy book that we teach and we preach from every week and we are blessed people because we have spiritual eyes that open the pages of the word of God and we say that's what Jesus is saying to me and we have spiritual ears that hear preaching and hear teaching and we get it we understand it we're motivated by it I don't think we have a sweet clue how privileged and how blessed we are to have that grace of God operating in our lives. Before this moment, Jesus had regularly preached sermons like his longest recorded discourse, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, three full chapters. And stories were scarce in his teaching in his early ministry. But notice what Mark says about Jesus' teaching this is as he opens the final year, the third year of his public ministry. Mark 4 and 33. And with many such parables spake he the word unto them as they were able to hear it. Not everyone was able to hear it. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And then when they were alone, he would expound all these things to his disciples, the people who really followed him the people who were really committed to him. The rest of the crowd, often they just didn't get it. This was a sudden, dramatic shift in the master's style of ministry. It wasn't about explaining truth to disciples who were just simple. No, it was about concealing truth from unbelievers who had hardened hearts. And if I could be so bold, the very same thing happens today when the word of God is preached. Some accept it, others reject it. Some hear the teaching of the word of God and they go away thinking that is absolutely essential. Other people walk out of the same building having listened to the same preacher and they say that's just totally optional for my life. When some people hear the word of God taught or preached, they discover life-changing answers. And others, they just uncover more confusing questions and debates to argue about. And it depends not on the eloquence of the preacher or the excellence of the teacher or the quality of the presentation. It depends entirely and completely upon the condition of your heart. That's what makes the difference when you receive the word of God. If you don't believe me, take a quick tour of the New Testament. Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Why does the devil work so much on your heart and your mind? Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. 
Can I please spin that verse end for end? And instead of us thinking about the lost, that their eyes are blinded and their hearts are, are, are covered with a heavy veil and they can't see and they can't understand. Can I just spin that verse around 180 degrees and say that someday, somewhere, somehow, in some service, the light of the gospel of Jesus penetrated the veil that was over your mind and over your heart and you were abundantly, eternally blessed tonight because the word of God got into a crack in your facade somewhere and light exploded in your mind and revelation took over your heart and today you're bound for an eternal heaven and you're serving the king of kings and the lord of lords and it's because the God of this world doesn't control your mind anymore you're free the God of this world doesn't control your heart anymore you are liberated because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a privilege that is. We have no clue most of the time. To us, this is normal. This isn't normal. This is abnormal in this world that we come to a building and we worship a God that we can't see and we, we sing songs and lift hands and pray prayers and preach sermons and people's lives are changed and we pray and we come to altars and people receive the Holy Ghost and people are baptized. That's not normal. That's supernatural. That's not normal in this world of 8 billion people. We are abundantly privileged because we have eyes that see and ears that hear. Hebrews chapter 4, the writer says, For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. But the word that was preached, it didn't profit them. Why? Because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. A lack of faith in the word doesn't shut down the word, but it does shut down the effect of the word in your life. If you want a healing, you're not going to get it by standing there with your arms folded saying, God, hit me with your best shot. If you want a miracle, you're not going to get it by giving God your best skeptical game face. If you want a miracle, if you want a healing, if you want God to do something in your family, in your home, in your life, in your mind, the best approach is to approach him by faith. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. But when you approach him by faith, all bets are off. The devil doesn't control that game board anymore. The rules change when you have faith plus the word of God. Aren't you grateful for eyes that see and ears that hear the voice of the spirit and the voice of the word? Back to Corinthians, Paul wrote to them. He said, but as it is written, <laughs> we use this verse at funerals. It's okay. It applies there too. But it's not written about heaven or funerals. It's written about now and you. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But those things that your human eye has no way of seeing and your human ear has no way of hearing and your human heart has no way of understanding, but God hath revealed them unto us. How? By his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. I don't know about you, but the more this chaos goes on in the world, the more I want to dig deeper in my relationship 
relationship with God. I don't want to be in the shallow end of the pool when Jesus returns. I want to be in the deep waters. I want to be in a deep move of the Spirit of God. Lord Jesus, help us. We want a deep move of God's Spirit at CCC every time we get together. I don't care if it's a prayer meeting, a kid's service, a youth rally. I don't care if it's Bible study, Sunday morning or Sunday night or praise team practice. We need the Holy Ghost to saturate not just this building but the people who are in this building. We've got to have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that seeks after God. But what in the world happened to cause this sudden dramatic shift in Jesus' teaching? That before this time he doesn't tell stories and now he almost exclusively tells stories. What in the world happened? To answer that, we need to back up one chapter in Matthew's gospel to one very busy day near the end of Jesus' second year of public ministry. It was on this very particular full schedule, busy day that Jesus had a, a series of very tense encounters with some very hostile Pharisees. The main fight they choose, chose to pick with Jesus on that day had to do with the observance of the Sabbath. And that was the most obvious symbol of their legalistic religion. To avoid incidental infractions of God's command to keep the Sabbath day, to avoid anybody going anywhere near breaking that law, to avoid any chance that anybody would disappoint God or infuriate the Almighty... The Pharisees had taken God's commands, God's word, and they had overlaid God's word with a long list of petty man-made restrictions. They had turned Sabbath keeping into a badge of honor and pride for themselves and a heavy burden for everybody else. God had intended Genesis 2 for the Sabbath to be a day of rest. God had intended Isaiah 58 for the Sabbath to be a delight. But the Pharisees had made the Sabbath day into a day of arbitrary rules and manufactured outrage. They had wrecked the Sabbath. They had made it something that was absolutely horrid. They had ruined God's intent for his people. And because they had done this, because the Pharisees had messed up everything that God had intended, God wasn't pleased. The Pharisees, like today, they had manufactured outrage and they had outright condemnation for anybody that made the slightest infraction of their rules. So, on this very busy day, when Jesus' disciples are just walking through a field and they pick corn to eat on the Sabbath, the Pharisees called him on it. This is Matthew 12. Behold, your disciples do that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day. And Jesus simply called attention to their beloved King David. He said, your King David that you love so much, God allowed him to eat the priest's showbread in the tabernacle in the temple when he was hungry. And he pointed out, hey, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath day. He made them so angry. And then, just a little later on that same very busy day, when a man with a withered hand said, Jesus, would you please heal me? The Pharisees criticized Jesus for wanting to heal that man with a withered hand. They said, is it lawful to heal 
on the Sabbath days? And Jesus uncovered their blatant hypocrisy. He said, if any of you have a sheep and it falls in a pit on the Sabbath day, you don't hesitate to get down in the pit, uh, get some friends, lift that sheep out of the pit. And then he says, the zinger question, how much then is a man better than a sheep? And then he turns around and he does something that really makes him mad. He heals the man on the Sabbath day. And it was right after this moment of humiliation, you can read in Matthew 12 and 14, that the Pharisees began plotting how to destroy Jesus. And even then, the day's confrontations were still not finished. It's this very busy, full scheduled day. And Jesus heals a blind, mute man who's also possessed by a devil. And then the multitudes following Jesus everywhere. They're amazed when they see this blind, speechless man begin to praise God and he's obviously delivered from that tormenting spirit and the crowd begins to say, is not this the son of David? Is this has to be the Messiah? And the Pharisees had enough. And they began to condemn Jesus openly. Here's what they say. This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. He's not the Messiah. He's in league with the devil. And it was at that moment when the Pharisees had enough and they attacked Jesus in that way that Jesus had enough too. And he wheeled on them and he said these words, all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men, but the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost shall not be forgiven unto men. That, brothers and sisters, is the moment that changed everything. That is the incident that changed the trajectory and the whole method of Jesus' earthly ministry. Because in that moment, the righteous judge had executed judgment on those people who knew better and tried to attribute his miracles and his ministry to the devil. Now notice that Jesus says there, the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. There's a definite article there. It's not talking about general blasphemy if somebody does something like that. He, he just said all manner of blasphemy can be forgiven. He says the blasphemy against the Holy Ghost. This is something very specific that happened here in Matthew chapter 12. You see, the Pharisees, they were the religious experts. The Pharisees had seen Jesus put his power and his glory on display repeatedly. If anyone in Israel knew exactly who Jesus Christ was, it was the religious scholars because they were the students of the law and the prophets his identity was indisputable. But here's their problem. For them to admit he was the son of God. For them to admit he was God manifest in the flesh. For them to admit he was the Messiah. Well, that would have reduced them to sinners in need of a savior. And their pride just wouldn't allow that. And so they stood on that day, the one group in Israel that absolutely knew better. And on that day, they attacked God's revealed truth with an intentional lie. Also, they could continue to live in their sin and their hypocrisy. The Pharisees knew exactly what they were doing. 
It was the ultimate act of blasphemy to know that that is the Messiah and attribute the Messiah's ministry to the devil. They knew exactly what they were doing. And so that's the moment. From that moment on, you see the change in the gospels. From that moment on, Jesus would only teach in parables. His followers, his disciples, those that loved him, they would receive revelation. It would be beautiful. But the Pharisees, they would perceive only riddles. His disciples, they would be profoundly motivated. The Pharisees would be entirely frustrated. So it was then, and so it is now. Whenever the word of God is taught or preached, and now, like back then, whichever side of that equation you find yourself on, it's not the pastor's fault. It's not the church's fault. It's not God's fault. It is entirely your choice, entirely your fault, entirely your responsibility. It is entirely due not to the condition of the sermon or the preacher, but it's entirely due to the condition of your heart. Jesus said to them, O generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? Watch this. For out of the abundance of the heart. It's the heart where the choice is made. It's the heart where it either works or it doesn't work. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When you hear somebody arguing against the word of God, arguing against truth, arguing against doctrine, arguing against holiness, what you're hearing is their heart. You're not hearing their words and their mental argument. You're hearing their heart talk. A good man out of the good treasure, where? Of the heart, he brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, he brings forth evil things. Brothers and sisters, it entirely depends on the condition of your heart. The shift in Jesus' ministry was immediate and it was dramatic. Everything he taught in public from this day forward would be concealed from everyone except those who had ears to hear and eyes to see. From this point on, only those who followed him faithfully would get the message. Exactly one chapter later, Matthew records in 13, he says, All these things spake Jesus unto the multitude in parables, and without a parable spake he not unto them. Why? That it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept secret from the foundation of the world. And I want to move on, but I have to stop to say one more time. Do you even grasp how privileged you are that you are an apostolic believer 
And there are truths that all the Old Testament prophets, they would have cut off their right arm to know just a little sliver of what you know of New Testament power and revelation. They could only see glimpses of it. They desired to see it. The Bible even tells us that the angels desire to look into what the church has experienced. Do you understand how blessed and how privileged you are? To even sit in a Wednesday night Bible study. It's an amazing privilege. Eyes to see. Ears to hear. And all of this brings us to the subject of our series. Do you know what Jesus taught the multitudes about in his very first parable? After this intense conversation? Through a simple story set on a farm... He taught the multitude. This is his very first parable after this confrontation. He taught them how the condition of their heart impacts their ability to receive the word of God. And sure enough, just like he said, some of them got the message and some of them did not. Here it is, Matthew 13. And the same day, the same day as that horrible, tense confrontation with the Pharisees. The same day that he judged them. The same day they said, you're of the devil. And he said, you've blasphemed and you won't be forgiven. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes. See, it was just those religious people that had preconceived notions. And they didn't want to give up their whole idea of what was righteous and what was not. They didn't want to give up their status in the religious community of Israel. They didn't want to give any of that up. They were too proud. They were too smug. They were too sure of themselves and too sophisticated. And they didn't want to give any of that up. And on that same day. Great multitudes. See, it wasn't the multitudes that were the problem. It was the religious people that were the problem. Great multitudes were gathered together unto him. So much of a crowd that he got into a ship and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. If, you, if you've ever been in the nation of Israel, if you go to the, the Mount of Beatitudes uh, by, by the Sea of Galilee, it's a natural amphitheater. And they've tested this. They push somebody out in a boat just a little bit from the shore and they speak in a normal voice without a PA system. And you can hear their voice echo in this natural amphitheater up the hill. It's, it's remarkable. That's what Jesus is doing. And the whole multitude stood on the shore and they're hanging on every word. They're unlike the Pharisees. They're unlike the religious scholars. And he spake many things unto them. How? In parables saying. And here's where it all begins. Behold, a sower went forth to sow. That's where it all begins. And so in our series, that's where we begin. The Greek word translated parable in the gospels is parabole. It is used 48 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke because there are no parables in the Gospel of John. And that word, parabole, it is always used in reference to Jesus' stories. It comes from two root words, para, which means beside, and balo, which means to throw. And so it literally means to place something alongside of something else. It's a comparison of two things that have some similarity. And in Jesus' case, it's 
his way of teaching. A parable always uses a common everyday circumstance to teach a profound spiritual concept. He takes what is ordinary. He takes what is usual. He takes what we know and beside it, he sets a spiritual principle that we need to know. And in the case of his very first parable, nothing could be more common in that ancient agricultural society than a farmer going out and sowing seed. And so that's where he begins. And in our series, that's where we begin. And when he sowed, the farmer, when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside and the birds came and devoured them up. Some seed fell upon stony places where there wasn't much earth. It was shallow. And forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. In other words, they, they sprung up fast, but then they withered away and died because there just wasn't any depth to the earth. It was shallow earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, no depth. They withered away. And some of the seed fell among thorns and the thorns sprung up and, and choked them. But there was other seed as the sower sowed the seed that it fell unto good ground. And it brought forth good fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirtyfold. And then he says, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is not talking about the growth of the church primarily. He's not talking about revival primarily. He, he, he's talking about the condition of your heart when the word of God is sown into your heart. Your heart makes the difference. Your heart makes the choice. People can hear the very same sermon. And some can go out with the Holy Ghost. And others can walk out and say, that was insane. You, you, you can go to the same service. And the same preacher can preach. And he might be awesome or he might be faltering. But somebody can go out and they can say, I'm determined to serve Jesus from this day forward. And somebody else can walk out and say, I didn't understand a word he said. It's not the preacher. It's the condition of your heart when the word of God is sown into it. And so these four kinds of soil, they're four different human hearts. Four different responses to the word of God that human beings have. Some scholars have referred to this as the parable of the sower, and that's okay. But really, it's the parable of the soil. Because the sower doesn't change, and the seed doesn't change, but the soil changes from spot to spot. And so if we look at church, it's not the word of God that changes, and it's not the preacher in that service that changes, it's the response of different human hearts to the word of God, to the spirit of God, to the move of God. The sower doesn't change. The seed doesn't change. But the quality of the soil certainly does. Jesus is addressing the condition of the human heart. Please hear me. Because more than any other factor in your life, the condition of your heart affects how you receive the word of God. 
Let me be very direct. There are people that go into a season of backsliding in their life. And during that season, the condition of their heart makes countless excuses. They find something critical about every preacher, every sermon, every song, every service because their heart is not right. It's got nothing to do. The church didn't change. The preacher didn't change. The sermon probably hasn't changed all that much. It's just a different portion of this very same word of God. What changed? Their heart changed. And for that terrible season in their life, it's like they've shut out the word of God and they've shut out conviction and they've shut out the spirit. And if there ever was a generation, if there ever was an age, if there ever was an era or a time that you need to be very careful about the tenderness of your heart toward God, it would be the generation we're living in. There's so much cynicism and skepticism and criticism of all things moral, all things normal, all things Christian, all things godly, all things religious. There's so much of that pollution in culture. If there ever was a time, we need to heed the words of King Solomon, guard your heart for it affects everything you do. Guard your heart. Out of your heart come all the issues of your life. It's not a marriage problem. It's a heart problem. It's not a backsliding problem. It's a heart problem. It's not an addiction problem. It's a heart problem. Everything traces back to your heart. And I say with strong conviction tonight, if you can get your heart right, you can get everything else right. If you can get your heart right, you can get deliverance right. If you can get your heart right, you can get your miracle right. If you can get your heart right, you can get your marriage right. If you can get your heart right, it affects everything you do. In ancient times, animals were often housed under the same roof as the poor people who used them to make a living. They couldn't afford to build a separate barn. They were poor. And so the animals lived in maybe an, a, a corner of their house. And so a dirt floor was the only practical option in their dwellings. And for most of these poor peasants, a dirt floor was the only possible option because they had no money anyway outside of their meager possessions. Only wealthy people could afford something other than dirt for their floors. And so over the years and the decades and the centuries, across many cultures in multiple languages, there arose a familiar expression, dirt poor. And so the question in this series, and we're not going any further tonight because we want to take our time and unpack what Jesus said to us. The question for our series is, is the soil of your heart rich or poor? Is it fertile or is it blocking the seed of the word of God from germinating? The question in this little series, and it's going to be the question every week, so if you don't like it, you might as well quit now. <laughs> what kind of soil is in your heart? That's the question. And if I could be so bold, there's no more important question for you to ask of yourself than what kind of soil is in your heart when the word of God is preached. You attend an apostolic church. Your pastors, every preacher that graces this pulpit, every evangelist, every teacher, every prophet, they stand up here and they preach 
the word of God. They don't spare our feelings. They just preach truth to us. We are abundantly blessed. We've got a great pastor who has a great sensitivity to the spirit and a great respect for the word of God. And you never have to worry that something that's not truth would be preached in this pulpit and remain uncorrected. You're so blessed. But all of that powerful word of God, all of that revelation and truth, all of that apostolic doctrine and spiritual understanding, it accomplishes nothing for you unless the soil of your heart is receptive to it. What kind of soil is in your heart? The very first parable Jesus ever told after this horrible confrontation, the, 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 the turning point of his entire ministry, never again would he just speak openly and plainly to the multitudes. He would forever after talk in parables, which revealed truth to those that loved him and concealed truth from those that hated him. His very first parable after that shift, it reveals that most people, if the parable holds true, at least three quarters of people who hear the word of God are dirt poor. The soil of their heart won't sustain the moving of God's spirit and the germination of God's word in their life. Oh, they may look okay for a while, but it doesn't last. You can't afford to be that kind of person. You say, but Pastor Woodward, I've been in church for dozens of years. It doesn't matter. All kinds of pollution can get in the soil of your heart. The Pharisees had been in church for dozens of years too. In fact, they'd been in church for generations and they thought they had a corner on the God market, but they did not. They didn't recognize God in flesh when he was standing right in front of them and they shut themselves out from understanding the word of God. And we live in the last of the last days and the end of the end times when the devil is just running rampant in our culture and every other kind of culture in the world, if there ever was a moment in time when you need to guard your heart, it would be today. But for if the parable holds true, for three quarters of people who hear the word of God preached, the soil of their heart simply will not sustain spiritual growth. Why? Because they never allow the word of God to take root. The sower doesn't change. The seed doesn't change. But the heart can prove fickle. The prophet Jeremiah said that your heart is desperately wicked. It's, it's evil. He said, who can know it? See, the heart can appear one way on the surface. But underneath, there can be a totally different Reality. And that's why Jesus teaches us that the human heart, your human heart, like the soil of a field, it can be hardened, it can be shallow, it can be strangled, or it can be fruitful. And only you choose that. God doesn't choose it. And no, your circumstances don't choose it. 
You say, but you don't understand what I've been through and this is why I have this attitude and this is why I don't trust and this is why I don't receive and this is why I don't believe. You don't get to make those kind of excuses with God because there are other people who are in your shoes exactly or in circumstances far worse than you've ever encountered or dreamed about in your worst nightmares and they're faithfully serving God today. The soil of their heart is what's different, not their circumstances. Not their perks and their privileges and their pedigree. The soil of their heart is different. So in this parable, can you imagine we're going to spend four weeks on one parable, but we are. And in this parable, you may receive revelation or you may perceive only riddles. You may be profoundly motivated by what we study over this four-week span. Or you may be entirely frustrated And I would say to you, as it was then, so it is now. Whenever the word of God is taught, the quality of the soil of your heart determines everything. Everything. Kathy, come back for a moment, would you please? Whichever side of that equation you find yourself on, is entirely due to the condition of your heart. Doesn't that make you want to be as transparent and open and genuine and sincere with Jesus as you ever possibly could have been? Can I just take a load of of whatever guilt, shame, pressure off of somebody tonight? Stop trying to impress us. First of all, we're not impressed. We know how to spot a hypocrite a thousand miles away. You know why? Because we've all been hypocrites. That's why. If you're just trying to do something to impress us, stop. It doesn't account for anything. It doesn't amount to anything. Stop trying to impress people with your religion. Stop trying to impress people with your Christianity. Stop trying to impress people with your spirituality. That's Phariseeism. Jesus isn't looking for your best performance. He's looking for a relationship. He loves when you come to church, don't get me wrong. The Bible does say forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. There's a little asterisk on that verse apparently for COVID-19. The Bible does say don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. However, if this is all, it's not enough. If it's only Wednesday and Friday night and Sunday morning, Sunday night, a couple of special meetings thrown in there. Jesus isn't looking for your church performance. He's looking for a relationship. He's, he, he's, he's looking for this word to not be something that Pastor Raymond or Pastor Jack or some other pastor preaches and and you walk out and say, wow, that was a good sermon or that was a good lesson. He's looking for the word of God to get down in your heart and bear much fruit. We just finished a beautiful, powerful nine-week series on the fruit of the Spirit. That's what the word will grow in your life. We've seen more than 25 people baptized in Jesus' name. 
since the 1st of July. That's what the Word of God will do in your life when you obey it. It changes everything. I, I didn't think we'd be real responsive tonight. and You pleasantly surprised me. Your response to the Word of God. And this lesson just kind of sets it up for where we want to go the next three weeks. And although we'll say much more in many more ways, it all hinges on tonight. What is the condition of the soil of your heart? Not pastor's heart, not the church's heart, your heart. Would you lift up your hands right now in the presence of God? I know it's a little solemn. I, I get that. I understand that. But now would you lift up your voice and just worship him? That will help us kind of break the ice spiritually a little bit. We'll pray in a second, but just, just enter into his presence with worship for a moment right now. That's just kind of a low rumble of worship, and that's good. I just want you to dig deep right now and just kind of push that. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Anybody you've ever met that messed up in their life with God, their spiritual walk, it was because of the condition of their heart. The soil changed before you ever saw the fruit or the lack thereof. Anybody you've ever seen that got bitter and walked away, anybody you've ever seen that backslid into some horrid sin and you were shocked, it started months before that, maybe years before that, because it all depends on the quality of the soil of your heart. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful people, this great church, this opportunity to teach your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the conviction that's here. Conviction doesn't mean you don't love us. It means that you do love us. The devil condemns, pushes us away from you. But conviction comes from you, and it pulls us closer to your presence. It makes us want to root out things that aren't right, and it makes us want to repent and maybe shed a tear. It makes us want to get to an altar, have a personal time of prayer. That's conviction. I thank you for your conviction that is here tonight. I thank you for a great church that will receive the word of the Lord. I thank you for a great people that love the word more than anything else. But Jesus, you and I know I'm not preaching to the church collective tonight. I'm reaching for that individual tonight that needs heart surgery, a heart transplant, a heart change. I believe you. I believe the promise of your word. I am so confident in your spirit at this very moment that you are working. I speak in the name of Jesus, deliverance over someone's heart tonight. 
The devil has a wedge in there trying to separate them from you. The devil has grown a, a, a weedy mass of temptation in one corner of their heart. And even though they don't want to, they keep going back there and they keep yielding and they've been fighting, but they're losing. And God, you want to change their heart and give them victory in their heart. But it depends on their decision to repent. And then you do the rest. Church, would you stand and let your hands keep on going? Lift up your hands to the ceiling right now. And I want you to begin to pray. I'm just going to try to follow the Lord and follow the Spirit for a moment here. I, I want us all to repent. I don't care what you say or what it sounds like because we're just all going to do it. So if you'd pray out loud in some fashion right now, it would set the atmosphere for somebody else's deliverance and for somebody else's miracle moment and for somebody else's turnaround. Yes, in Bible study, the Holy Ghost knows exactly what he's doing tonight. Lord Jesus, I repent of the problems and the, the sins and the hidden places that so easily encroach into my heart. I, I repent of the attitudes, the reactions, the responses that so easily crowd out the work you do in my heart. I repent tonight, Jesus. I cast that away and I embrace your word tonight. I turn away from that and I embrace your spirit tonight. Jesus, I want my heart to be a habitation of your spirit. I want to walk with you. I want to be nudged by your spirit when I get too close to something that could hurt me. I want to be led by your spirit every day. I want to walk in the spirit so I don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Jesus, it's the end time. I want to be ready for your coming. I don't want to have a polluted heart that would chain me down at the second of the rapture like some anvil tied to my ankle. Jesus, I want to be free to sail through the skies when you come back. I don't want this world to taint me, hurt me, mess me up, or bind me. I cast off the things of the world. I cast off the work of the flesh. And I embrace your word. I yield to your word. I yield to your spirit. If you would open your heart through an act of worship right now, Jesus, really, um, I know exactly what's going on here. Jesus has a moment of great deliverance for somebody here in this room. I'm not playing. I'm not posturing. I'm just telling you that the Holy Ghost knew exactly what he was doing in Bible study tonight. Oh, church, I just need your voice with those hands. I just need your voice. They didn't say you couldn't pray. They didn't say you couldn't intercede. Your heart, it affects everything you do. Get your heart right, everything else is right. Get your heart right, everything else falls in place. Get your heart right, it's clear sailing from here to the rapture. Just you got to get your heart right. So that Ababa Kyo Sabaha. 
many of you are standing beside somebody that's in your home, your spouse or a brother, sister, would you take their hand and pray together right now across this great auditorium? And I don't mean a little bit of sleepy dismissal prayer. I mean pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Pray in tongues. Pray. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Soto la baba besiasa. Ito lolola la baba shesa. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Root out anything that is not like you. Tear out anything that is not of you, Jesus. I want my heart clear and pure and clean. I want my heart free and liberated. I want to live the way he wants me to live.